From Relay FM, this is Flashback. This season, we're looking back through technology history to better understand the trends that we see today. My name is Quinn Nelson, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Good week. Yeah, man. How are you? I'm I'm well. I've had a great week. Uh, I've loved this week. In fact, I love this week almost as much as I love Amazon.com's excellent catalog of improving and helpful products. Wow. You're such an influencer. <laughs> as we get into this uh, topic, uh, you'll see that we're not influencing anything and that maybe Amazon should make fewer things. <laughs> yeah. No, no more things. <laughs> Actually, mm-hmm. you know, luckily they've mostly course corrected. Uh, Amazon. So, uh, yeah, we, we've talked about them before once or twice. Yeah. little uh, little bookstore out on the West Coast somewhere. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, uh, you know Jeff Bezos, the the second richest man in the world after Elon Musk. <laughs> Spoken like a true Tesla driver. Oh, number two, he's got a rocket company. Oh, I guess. Oh, shoot, he, they both have rocket companies. Oh, they do. Yeah, they do. One one's doing a little better than the other. It seems to me. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Blue Origin is just earlier in the process. That's oh, all. Okay. Well, hey, you know, the more the merrier. I, I agree. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, speaking of Tesla, they're, they're overvalued, but what's not overvalued <laughs> was the original Amazon Kindle. <laughs> so we've the one with the keyboard. That's right. That's right. The one with the keyboard. Last week we talked about, um, you know, set top boxes and some of the most popular now today are those from Amazon. Uh, Amazon has actually a fairly long and storied history of uh of of devices and the kindle was the one that kind of kicked it all off uh, clear back in the mid 2000s it's been a while i guess i just lost track of how long the kindle had been around mm-hmm. i mean it was really early yeah. you know and it's come a long way i have a kindle today i have an oasis and i read on it all the time they've really done a great job with the kindle i think it's funny because Amazon was originally a bookstore. And so to continue in the same vein of bringing, and I would say really popularizing digital ebooks, um, because now, you know, most people read on their, their iPad and their Galaxy Fold and what other device they have laying around, which you and I and, and kind of ebook reader people still think is an inferior way to read a book. But mm-hmm. uh, it was especially true back then when screen resolution was so low and battery life was so poor and screen size on on tablets and all that stuff was was small a kindle was a purpose-built device that just did what it did well bezos formed the kindle team clear back in 2004 under the code name fiona and uh, development took several years but they eventually launched that first keyboard kindle in 2007 uh there's no touch screen it had this weird little scrolly pad to get through the menu uh, it had a relatively small display and a massive footprint um, to accommodate stuff like the keyboard which thinking of a kindle with a keyboard today is why <laughs> but back then mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah i remember getting the first one i bought was the first one or was the last one with a keyboard and uh, then I got the yeah. the next one because I just upgrade Kindles every time there's a new one. Uh, the next one without a keyboard is like, oh, this is a revelation. Why have we been having tiny keyboards on these for so long? <laughs> That's true. Although there was one with a keyboard that I wish they still made today, or at least one in the same form factor, and that's the Kindle DX. Did you ever have one of those? The big boy? Yeah, it had a 9.7-inch display. And, oh. Yeah, I have one in my collection someone gave me with a bunch of stuff, and uh, it's pretty awesome. And it it, it is especially useful for people who may have uh, issues with fine motor control. Having something larger to hold on to is good, and you can really blow the text up really big and the screen's bigger. I agree with you. I think it should there should still be something bigger than sort of the current crop of Kindles. Yeah, well, and even stuff like uh, textbooks. You know, I had to read textbooks on my iPad Pro, and it was it was fine. They worked, but I continue to wish, man. You know, I don't really care about color. I don't even care about the rate at which the display refreshes because I'm skimming this. Because who actually reads their textbooks? But man, I, <laughs> I really wish this thing was larger. You just you couldn't read a textbook practically on a five, six, seven inch screen. Anyway. I know I'm I'm older than you. My textbooks were uh, carved into stone, so. Wow. No color there I bet either. They were so expensive <laughs> and heavy. 
really heavy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the Kindle was a big hit. They put it on sale in 2007, like you said. It was three ninety nine. Of course, there was no market for this, really. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it sold out and then was out of stock for five months. Now, of course, we don't know how many they sold because Amazon never says anything about sales figures. <laughs> yeah. But looking at the product now and how they've they've really continued to hammer on it and make it better, clearly they uh, they're doing well with it. And like we mentioned, later generation Kindles released similarly positive reception for most every single one. I mean, there have been a few misses here and there, but in general, there, there's never really been a bad Kindle. And uh, well, Amazon's just continue to put more and more emphasis on building custom hardware rather than simply selling hardware from their competitors. And so that brings us to today's topic, the most incredible product of all time. Not quite. Well, our story starts in an undefined era because apparently Amazon had kept a successfully uh, very quiet internal project under wraps for uh, several years until its existence as Project Taito had finally been made known and reported on in about 2010. Um, but in kind of viewing in retrospect, it seems that perhaps as early as 2008, this project at Amazon had been underway. You know what a Taito is? I looked it up. No. It's uh, the family of owls, like barn owls and mast owls. Oh. And uh, so, yeah, they can see, like, they have really wide field of view. And maybe that's why it was the code name as we get into this this phone and what made it special. That's interesting. That's interesting. I love code names. Owls are really cool. Too bad this phone wasn't. Uh, oh, I spoiled it. Spoiler. It was a phone. It was an answer to Apple's hugely successful iPhone 4 and iPhone 4S and later 5 and 5S. This thing took a little while to actually ship. It did. But yeah, yeah it was a phone and it was rumored to have the flagship specs uh, of the time that you'd kind of come to expect, like NFC, which was relatively new at that point in time for contactless payment, uh, a large multi-touch display, and curiously, uniquely... This is perhaps where the owl term comes from. It had, there was rumors that it had this kind of interesting mid-air gesture-based navigation system so that there were sensors on the front of the screen that would allow you to navigate through the UI without actually touching the device. And not just that, but it also had a force-sensitive grip button that would respond in many ways to different degrees of pressure. And uh, we'll soon learned that neither of these features really made it into the Fire Phone, but interestingly, both of them have made it into other Android phones over the year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I'll say Google has experimented with some of this, right? Like on the some of the Pixel phones? Project uh, Soli, their radar yes. for the gestures. Mm -hmm. And then they did the Force-sensitive grip as well, which was on multiple Pixel phones. Mm -hmm. And I think it's on some Samsung phones as well. That's right. LG had some min-air gestures as well. It's a, you know, it's been through the ranks. Uh, HTC, I think HTC was the original forced uh, pressure kind of product. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the one M9 maybe. Uh, there's so many Android phones. I don't remember. <laughs> you have a lot of phones rattling around in your brain. And they all have really great hardware features. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interestingly, it really seems that Bezos himself was into this, which I think surprised both of us. Like, yeah. I just don't view Bezos as like a visionary product guy. Maybe it's, that's unfair, but that's not how I read him. No, that's pretty fair, I think. <laughs> but um, he was really into this uh, midair gesture ideas. There's a bunch of patents that Amazon filed way back in like the, the mid aughts that have his name on them, looking at some of this stuff. And it's alleged that he was so involved in this phone that uh, it was delayed because this laundry list of concepts and technologies that he and others wanted to put in it just kept pushing the phone further and further back. You know, you said a second ago, this thing took a long time to get out the door. And I can totally see that if the boss is like, what about this crazy idea? What about this idea? What about that? You can see how the team would just kind of chase their own tails for a while. And I think that is what happened. There were several years of development. And after those years of development, they did finally announce a phone, the Fire Phone, which was manufactured by Foxconn. 
That's right. So, and its specifications were were adequate for the time. Uh, the phone was equipped with a 4.7-inch 720p display that had Gorilla Glass 3. Uh, it did use the prior year's flagship processor, the Snapdragon 800, instead of the newer 801, but still quite respectable. That came with an Adreno 330 GPU, and it had a whopping 2 gigs of RAM, which actually really was pretty good. Yeah, so for 2014... That's not terrible. Like being one gen behind on the CPU, like we see that today in budget phones. And for the most part, it's fine. Yeah. So yeah, I think they did a, a pretty good job with those specs all in all. Yeah, there, there were a couple of different storage options. You could get it in 32 gigs or 64 gigs. Interestingly, uh, it was not expandable, which was kind of commonplace in Android phones of the time. It's yeah. fairly rare now. But back then, that was kind of a demerit. On the back, it had a camera. Do you remember when phones just had one camera? <laughs> honestly, honestly, no. Yeah. We were recording this a little bit before Samsung's event, and uh, we just those cameras have, uh, you know, those phones have all leaked, and they all have thirty-two cameras on the back or something. Um, That's right. This one on the Fire Phone was a thirteen megapixel sensor with f two point oh five element wide aperture lens. Mm-hmm. It had optical image stabilization, a feature that we take for granted now, but it was really uncommon then. I mean, it really wasn't until, I'm trying to think when Apple did it. Apple did it with the 7. Oh, iPhone 6? Oh, is that One late? of the Plus phones. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I think the 7 Plus got it. 7 Plus? Hmm. You know, a couple of years after this. So again, with the hardware, not too shabby. It had a battery. Oh, that's good. Because phones need those. <laughs> it was 2,400 milliamp hours. Amazon claimed to have 22 hours of talk time and 85 hours of standby, which was fairly in line with most flagship Android phones. And the specs were reasonable, uh, even good. Uh, they were not bleeding edge against the likes of Samsung or Sony, but that wasn't really to be expected of them. It was their first phone. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it's fine. Where things get interesting and quirky is with the software, because the phone itself isn't really all that remarkable. Uh, just like the relatively new and inexpensive Fire tablets, which had seen rapid adoption, mostly because, you know, at the time, tablets were the rage and cheap tablets were even more of the rage. Yeah, this is like a Nexus 7 era is in here somewhere too, right? Like, that was a good tablet. And, and Apple was running away with the high-end market, and Android was really struggling to get a foothold in the high-end and mid-range tablet market. So, you know, Amazon came in with these cheap tablets that weren't that great, but they were cheap, and they were great for kids, and they sold like crazy, and they still sell like crazy. Um, it's funny to see them at Best Buy uh, during, like, Black Friday and, and stuff like that nowadays because they come in this, like, strange little paper sleeve with no protection, and they're just all thrown in, like, a big jar, and they're, like, <laughs> I'm sure they're not ideal, but for kids and stuff like that, they're, they're great. And so, you know, they had this decent little operating system that these devices were running fire OS. And they thought, well, why don't we just take fire OS and stick it on this brand new phone? Is, uh, is this a good idea? It's not fantastic. I mean, it's not terrible because it is based on Android. Hmm. So they didn't have to reinvent the whole wheel. This version of Fire OS was a fork of Android 4.2 Jelly Bean back in the day. But there were definitely some some issues with this. They had to redo the UI, which they had done for the tablets, and they had to squeeze that down onto the phone. And we're going to talk about some of the weirdness that, that came out of that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it may have made sense then. It really doesn't make sense now, though, right? I don't think any major player, at least in the in the American market, could get away with forking Android at this point. You see it in other parts of the world, either because Google isn't in yeah. those markets or they just take the open source part of Android and just leave Google Play services behind. But, you know, Amazon's big and maybe they thought they could pull this off. Yeah. I mean, you do see that kind of nowadays, like Huawei uh, said they were going to go out and develop the brand new OS. Sure. It was built in-house and then turns out... Uh, Actually, it's just Android. Pay <laughs> uh, no attention. Other, that's <laughs> right. There have been other instances like this, but you know, given the era, it was fairly late into the game. I mean, WebOS was already pretty much dead. Windows Phone Seven uh, was well, it was Windows Phone. It, it was pretty clear at this point that the winners were Android and iOS. And I guess maybe their thought was, well, 
We can't beat Android, but maybe we can derive benefit from Android by making our own version. And their user interface was interesting. I actually think it wasn't terrible, and we'll talk about it, because Android was still really kind of coming into its own. Uh, this is purely opinion, but I think that Android really started getting good in about 2014, 2015. So this was still early days. There was still some kind of janky organization of, of the OS. There were multiple ways to do different things. Some phones had a menu button, others didn't. It was just, it was messy. And so they tried to simplify it and take on a more Apple approach. And they did do something. They just <laughs> didn't make iOS. So they really designed the whole phone around this three pane interface that any point in time, you could access any of these three panes. The first and leftmost pane was your navigation menu. So that's the one where you could access subfolders or app shortcuts like apps, games, web, docs. You could even access the Amazon app through there. <laughs> nice. Then there was the middle page, which either showed the active application or if you were on the quote unquote home screen, you'd be presented with what was known as the home carousel. Oh boy. Have you seen pictures of this thing? Yeah. In fact, I reviewed an early Amazon Fire tablet, so I've used this. The hmm. icons are huge. <laughs> this is really what I was thinking of when I said scaling a tablet OS down to a phone has challenges because yeah. th these were just huge and like comically huge and wasted a bunch of screen space. So you had these this carousel of icons. Uh, there were recently recently used apps, and then you had hero widgets underneath that, hmm. and uh, those were basically just ads for. Amazon things. Thankfully, you could turn this off to just like a grid of apps, just like Android or the home screen on iOS. But yeah, this middle pane is not, it's not good. Yeah. And then we've got the, the last pane, which was used for notifications and then something known as delights. What? Hmm. What? You might be wondering, what are delights? Delights with <laughs> Quinn and Stephen. That's right. The idea of Delights. Delight. Is that the third-party apps would be able to display kind of ancillary or auxiliary information. So in the middle pane, that's where your app was running. And then you could slide the app over to the right and display more information to your user, kind of outside of your app, but still inside of your app. The example that they gave at the keynote was for the music app. So on the main screen, you had a display of your controls, album artwork, the playhead scrubber, etc. And then the delights screen would display lyrics, which you could access by sliding the screen to the right. Why this is any different from just a button inside of the app, I don't really understand. But in theory, I guess it's a unique idea. We can give them that. Yeah, I was trying to think of what the current analogy is for this. I mean, it's kind of like widgets in the sense that apps on Android and iOS can present information into a widget, but this is basically tied to the app. It's like a different view. It's really weird. Yeah. I mean, if, if you think about it, I do think that, so in the early days of Android, you had the menu button, right? And there was no on-screen context for what was hidden inside that menu. And it would change from app to app. So you'd have to know about the button and then click on the button to see what else can this app do? WebOS was very, very similar in that vein. And then I even think iOS to an extent with 3D Touch, when that became available, hid stuff behind contextual keys that you didn't really know were there. And so I guess this is kind of similar in the sense that it allows you to display content, but it is more visible because you know in your brain that that page exists. But I feel like that you just probably wouldn't use it that often. And as we'll learn later, you would have needed developers to support the feature, which, um, <clears throat> well, none did. We're going to come back to that in a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> so because they had forked Android with Fire OS, Amazon was on the hook for replacing stock Google apps, right? Because they, they are not bundled with the core of Android. You don't get those if you fork it. Right. So they had their own app store. They had Amazon Video, Amazon Music to replace the you know Google Play, whatever it was called in 2014. Google changes their service names way too often to keep up with. Uh, they had the Amazon Silk web browser, which 
is actually really interesting. It's kind of, we don't really have time to go into it today, but it would basically render a bunch of stuff on AWS and then send you like a super lightweight version of it if you had it in that mode. It's kind of cool. That is uh, cool. Also, some possible privacy implications there. Um, <laughs> With Amazon? And uh, you, no. you got Audible audiobooks because they're an Amazon company. Yeah. No Google Play services to speak of. Uh, in fact, at launch, you couldn't even sideload them. So if you had been an Android user in the past, this would be a big deterrent because you had already purchased apps on other, you know, on the Android platform and they didn't work on this Android phone because Amazon wanted you to buy them. Now, I don't know if you ever have used the Amazon App Store before. Have you? Uh, not in a long time, but when I when I've played with it last, it there was a bunch of really basic stuff and then a bunch of clones of Android apps that That's didn't right. work as well. Yeah. It it still kind of is the case. Uh, you can still download the Amazon App Store on an Android device today. You do need to sideload it. Um, and so that's kind of a thing. But it, it does still exist. For a long time, I think one of their polls is that they had um, a free app of the week. And, and these were usually premium apps, good games, good applications, totally free for one week, kind of similar to the iTunes single of the week. It was to get you onto their marketplace and to maybe pull yourself away from Google Play services. They did also have, and I really couldn't find uh, much information about this. So maybe I'm dreaming and have made this up, but I don't feel like I am because I feel like I remember doing it. They had a feature somewhat similar to iTunes Match where if you had an Android phone, it would scan the apps that you had purchased through Google Play. And then it either, I don't remember if, I think as long as you're a Prime subscriber, it would kind of transfer those licenses to Amazon. I don't know if they just paid for that themselves or if they negotiated with app developers. Um, or, or maybe I've just completely dreamt this up, but I, I feel like that was definitely a thing. I, I don't know. Anyway, wasn't a good app store, really. It sounds like something Amazon would do. <laughs> we can just leave it at that. <laughs> we have talked around some of the uh, some of the hardware features on the front of the phone. Mm. So there is one camera on the back. Yeah, but there are five on the front. Five. Uh, how five? Five. <sighs> so you had your selfie cam for the youth, mm -hmm. and then there was a camera in each corner, and Amazon would use that to track your face and your head in space. And that all fed into a software experience called, drumroll please, Dynamic Perspective. What on earth is Dynamic Perspective? <laughs> Remember we talked about that gesture-controlled UI, the idea that you could do things with your phone without touching your phone? Sure. That didn't super pan out, but they came up with this instead. <laughs> oh, okay. So these five, well, four cameras, one in each corner. When you have cameras that are distanced apart, you can gather depth information. Sure. Because you're looking slightly to the right and the left, you can put all that together and figure out where things are in space. It wasn't actually 3D, like this, like, like the Nintendo 3DS is 3D. It wasn't quite like that. It was, if you've used the parallax effect on iOS since iOS 7, yeah, it's like that, but cranked to 11, hmm. like way over the top. So it, it mimics depth, kind of. Mimics depth, yes. That's a, that's okay. a good way to, to get where I'm going. Okay. And it sounds it may sound gimmicky today, but it was new at the time, and it was, in some reviewers' eyes, the most positive thing about the phone. And it's really what set the phone apart from its iOS and Android competition because the hardware is all kind of basically the same, and it's running FireOS, so it kind of loses a point there. But it had this way to navigate the phone and navigate your content and reveal content that was fresh and new and exciting. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing that Dynamic Perspective is one of the most positive bright points of, of the phone. <laughs> in, in any case, and I've never tried it, so I, I shouldn't crap on it. Maybe it was really cool. But practically, it, it just... It, it never really caught on. Uh, much like Samsung and other Android OEMs, uh, it, it's just hard to usher in mass support for, for Android because unless you have the market share and unless your feature is available across multiple OEMs, uh, kind of good luck getting support. I say that as a Galaxy Fold 2 owner that still has to look <laughs> at Instagram on the skinniest little 
crop of screen on my massive screen possible. Anyway, I was going to let it go, but earlier you said, you know, people just read on their tablets or their foldables. And I was like, "Mm, not everybody. (laughs) Uh, Some some people. Some some people. Uh, Michael Fisher does. He's he's one guy. Mm. Anyway, it didn't really take off. And it I think it ended up being confusing to a lot of users because Amazon relied on this and the accelerometers and the phone to do pretty basic navigation. You know, you think about something like 3D Touch, which Apple has uh, announced and killed since its phone has gone away. Rest in peace. It was, for the most part, additive. You didn't have to 3D Touch something to get a to a core function. It was a shortcut or a bonus, right? Right, as it should be. As it should be. But in Fire OS, if you needed to get to, let's say, a menu in your Messages app... You'd have to tilt the phone. Uh-oh. I don't think that was super clear to people because people were just used to having a hamburger button or something, right? They're ubiquitous. Yeah. Amazon hit all this stuff behind, you know, turning the phone this way or that or, you know, peering around the corner or whatever it may be. You had to learn a lot of stuff to get the basics done. Well, to make matters worse, too, there were some users that kind of reported that because it had almost this top-down effect that it oftentimes, unless your angle and your head was dead on to the display, it could even prohibit you from seeing the full screen. So <laughs> not, not only would like, you know, certain elements and, and buttons be hidden, but text would be hidden. You'd kind of have to shift the phone left or right when, when reading. Now, you could adjust how intense this effect was, um, and, and later you were able to disable it altogether. But still, <sighs> mm-hmm. neat idea. Neat idea, but perhaps not the best in execution. But that's not the only uh, software kind of perk that came on the Fire Phone. Uh, One of the other interesting things announced was Firefly. Hmm. And no, it's not the uh, Owl City song that was probably popular around that era. Uh, Firefly. Oh, do you think it's why they they called it this? Because the code name was an (laughs) owl? It's all connected, man. Oh, that's right. When did this song come out? Let's see. 2009. That lines up. They were developing the phone at this point in time. All right. It's true. It's canon. I believe. We've decided. <laughs> so tell me about Firefly. Yeah. Okay. So Firefly allowed you to scan uh, barcodes on certain items in your house or scan a book cover, uh, scan a CD, DVD, you know, lots of stuff. And it would find that item inside of the Amazon store. Uh, There was also this Shazam-like element that used audio recognition where you could listen to a show or a movie, and then Amazon would use its big brain learning to identify what scene of what show or movie you were watching, and then recommend it to you in Amazon with the correct timestamp. Really kind of cool. All of this was really designed to funnel more of your time and money into Amazon services and products. And uh, at launch, it was pretty powerful, allegedly able to recognize more than 100 million products, including uh, more than a quarter million movies and TV episodes, uh, 160 live television channels. So they'd actually do content recognition real time, which is pretty cool. Uh, 35 million songs and 70 million products. Wow. While Firefly itself has kind of died, it is pretty similar, at least in my mind, to what we have in the Amazon app today, mm-hmm. where you can scan the barcode or the you know the cover of a book. Uh, you can now even scan clothes, I think, is a new thing, and it will kind of help find suggestions based on what you've scanned. So it lives on a little bit. It was a hardware button on this phone, by the way, to get into Firefly. Mm. Like It was a big feature. I think a lot of people, rightly so saw it as, well, this is a way to turn my phone into an Amazon barcode machine, right? And it is useful, right? Like I use it in the Amazon app all the time, but uh, it was was put out right in front with the Fire Phone. Yeah. It's like Bixby, but even worse somehow. (laughs) One genuinely good feature of this phone is called Mayday. So Mayday is a is a support service where you could open the support app on the phone and you would have access to customer service agents. They promised a 15-second wait time. And wow. 
what was cool about this is that the support agent could view your screen or even take over it and annotate on it what you were supposed to do. So if you got stuck because you didn't understand you had to tilt the phone to see a menu, they could show you what to do. And <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about like, and I'm sure you're this way and lots of our listeners are this way. When you're the tech person in your family, it's one thing to do like, oh, let me show your screen with my Mac and like see what your Mac is doing, see what your PC is doing. That's a lot harder on mobile devices, yeah. let alone for Apple to do it or Google to do it or, or Samsung, whoever, but even person to person. So I think this is a pretty good idea on Amazon's part. And it was probably needed because this, the UI was so confusing in places. But especially for a company that has had a hit or miss track record with customer service, like if you're just using Amazon.com, you can return anything and sometimes they don't even want it back. But if you get into issues like with your account or ebooks or something, sometimes people have had bad experiences. But this really kind of put all that support power in the palm of your hand, and I think it was really clever. Yeah, I wish I wish someone else would copy it. There's probably, you know, some security concerns, but sure. I, I'm assuming that nowadays you could, you know, blacklist certain apps from being viewed. Although frankly, uh, security with customer service agents is a bit Lax as it is, I just gave uh, someone on the phone today um, my credit card information and then my bank um, account and routing number, and it was just like, oh, that that I just read that off the phone to some random person. Thank you for that, by the way. I'm gonna go on a shopping <laughs> so, spree. You know, you're welcome. You're welcome. There's very little in there. Uh, anyway, so this phone released, and it was a massive success because all the other phones that were out at the same time were just total crap. Uh, except for not at all. By the time it released, it was competing for the spotlight against some really heavy hitters. There was the uh, iPhone 5S, which had the A7 chip. There was the Galaxy S5 and the S5. Remember the S5? It looked like a Band-Aid on the back. It was it was oh, kind of the yeah. last. Yeah. It was the last Galaxy phone uh, to my recollection, with a removable backplate, with the S6, they started building the the battery mm -hmm. in, and and now we think of that being fantastic. But I owned uh, the Galaxy S6 Edge Plus, I believe is what it was called, and it had the world's most abysmal battery life. And it's a cool phone; I actually still have it. But the Galaxy S5 was kind of revered as, for a while, the best. Android phone you could get because it was the last in that kind of design language that that Samsung had really perfected. It was it was a great phone. There was the HTC One M8, which was widely considered one of the best Android phones. I owned that phone, and it was amazing. Uh, it was it was my phone of choice even after the iPhone Six and Six Plus released. Uh, you know the following year, so. Really, really, really good. And then on the lower end side, you had really, really good kind of budget phones like the Motorola Moto X. And so it was up against some tough competition. And what didn't help was its launch price. So this phone launched at $199 and $299 based on your you know storage, be it 32 or 64 gigs. And that was an on-contract price. <laughs> so if you if you consider other phones of the era, that was right in line with iPhone 5S pricing, same price, um, and, and it was more expensive than many other Samsung and kind of Android phones that you could get on promotion. It was locked to AT and T. You were on contract, and yeah, I mean it was just a tough sell. So, hmm. if you look just at the raw hardware, like like it's let's ignore all of the software problems. The, the display was fine. It was 720p. That put it in line with some kind of budget Android phones and then the iPhone. But other flagships like the Galaxy S5 and the HTC One M8 had 1080p displays. There were other phones like the LG G3 that were right around the corner that had 1440p displays. Um, Bluetooth was only th Bluetooth 3.0, where 4.0 had kind of become the norm. The battery was okay, but not great. Uh, the camera was actually pretty good, uh, save uh, for, you know, some missteps here and there. Most people put it in line with kind of the better Android phones, uh, kind of in in line with uh, HTC, actually. Samsung and, and Apple were still a little bit of a cut above. Um, although the Fire Phone did allegedly have a really good low light mode, which is super 
you know, common and excellent now and, and didn't get really good until a couple of years ago, but it seemed to perform pretty well in low light. Uh, you know, it had the prior generation chip. It, it's just, there were too many hardware issues to make it a, a sell if the software was perfect yeah. and the software was not perfect. And we didn't even really talk about the design, but other than all the cameras facing you, it's the most unremarkable oh. design. Like it's just a phone. It's just a and black there's this slab. Massive, like garish Amazon logo in the back. Yeah, it's oh, bad. That wasn't great. Um, but really, I mean, not anything beautiful. Not anything that really would make it jump off the shelf at your AT and T store when compared with these other phones. Right, the iPhone was in several yeah. colors at this point. If you count the five C, it was in a bunch of colors. Samsung, HEC, they were all doing these nice finishes. Like it, it. Even it was just very, and and the most typical Amazon way, the hardware was utilitarian and not necessarily yeah. a, a beautifully designed object. Sounds like it's on a course for success. It sure does. You know, the, the uh, we've read a bunch of reviews. <laughs> David Pierce at The Verge wrote, time and time again, the Fire Phone has reminded me there's a big difference between good ideas about phones and good phones. A big difference. <laughs> uh, other people said that the dynamic perspective feature made them feel sick which i think is why amazon eventually lets you just turn it off because you can't yeah. have people feeling nauseated using your phone ui and um if you look back through some amazon.com reviews there's some that are uh that are pretty rough one uh, by a person named alfie says extremely sad and dissatisfied with this product I've been looking forward to this phone for a while now, and it saddens me to give it a bad review, uh, give leaving just one star hmm. for, for the poor, poor Fire Phone. Not from, not from Alfie. He's Amazon's favorite customer. Not anymore. <laughs> you blew it, Alfie. <laughs> okay, so from this moment, things start to go sour and fast. Just two months after the release of the phone, Amazon slashed the prices from $199 to 99 cents Ooh. so basically free that's still on contract uh the unlocked price went from uh 600 something dollars to about 400 uh dollars but still uh you know quite a big cut and then it just gets worse and worse and worse from there uh, at the time of the price cut there were only a reported 50,000 units in circulation which is not good at all. Mm -mm. Uh, frankly, it's really poor. You know, more than more than some products we've talked about on the show, like the uh, like the HT, HP Touchpad and uh, <laughs> fifty thousand more than the Nexus Q. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, and the the price cut came out the day before the iPhone six and six plus were announced, which of course went on oh, to right. be the first mega cycle for the Apple uh, iPhone world and really propelled the iPhone to the heights that it's still at. So, you know, is that poem about this is how the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper? Mm -hmm. It's how the fire phone goes out. I remember the jokes and the memes. Although, did we call them memes back then? I don't know. Memes. The, the internet jokes about the, the fire sale, the fire phone's now on fire sale. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. There were ramifications within Amazon for this. So shortly after the major price cuts, Amazon's R&D section, which was named Lab 126, uh, it laid off uh, a bunch of people, a bunch of people who had worked on the Fire Phone. Fast Company at the time reported that these layoffs have been coming for a while because the group had just gotten too big and there's a lot of overlap in staff. But like, I mean, yes and no, I guess. Like you can't say, okay, after this what should have been a really flagship device for the company after it totally flopped that. And then you have a bunch of layoffs. You can't tell me you didn't get from point A to point B with that. But at the same time, it did go from a hundred people to 3000 people in five years. So clearly there was some, some bloat that needed to be taken care of. And Amazon's VP of devices, Ian Freed, uh, who basically oversaw the, the development as did Bezos, but mostly the marketing of the fire phone. Well, he went on sabbatical. Mm -hmm. I guess that's what it's called, huh? He went on sabbatical and then uh, left Amazon altogether in 2015. So shortly after kind of all the aftermath slowed down. And, you know, after this, the phone was clearly DOA, right? I mean, consumer confidence in this, whatever there had been was totally shot. Uh, 
it, in the third quarter of 2014. So I guess the quarter, I forget how Amazon is a quarter. I think the quarter after the Fire Phone had been uh, released, the company had an operating loss of $544 million. About $170 million of that, they attributed to the failure of the Fire Phone. Yikes. And at that point, they had, get this, $83 million worth of inventory that they couldn't sell. Just a bunch of Fire Phones sitting in a warehouse somewhere. Oof. That's not good. Mm-mm. It's not good at all. I guess I guess the silver lining in this is this was still in the era when Amazon never turned a quarterly profit, right? Yeah. If this had been today, you know, say Back that- Back before they owned the United States? Yes. Uh, you know, say <laughs> that the Echo had done this or something, it would have been worse. But yeah, Amazon was in this weird financial state. And like the more they lost, the more they were valued. It was very strange there for a while. Um <laughs> But about a year after it was announced in September 2015, they officially announced that the Fire Phone was discontinued and the company would eventually claim a $170 million write down for unsold inventory and costs related to the Fire Phone. And this left people who had bought this kind of in a bad spot. It got a couple of security updates, but it ne- never made it past a version of Fire OS that was based on KitKat. And it just sort of slowly faded away, right? And yeah. Amazon blamed it on the price. They said, hey, look, we got the price wrong. And they did get the price wrong. But I don't think that's the whole story. Do you? Like, Do you think it's just price? No, not at all. I mean, it was just too weird without those Google apps. Um, so, so you know, the, the iOS diehards were not going to change from the iPhone. And there were still people buying smartphones for the first time in this period of time, but it was, it was at a much lower rate. And there were just, you know, there were more compelling offerings from a hardware and a software standpoint. Uh, Fire OS really kind of lended itself better for cheaper tablets and streaming sticks and didn't really seem to be well fit for for a, a certainly a flagship but even you know a low-end android smartphone so yeah that's that's the end of the fire phone and uh amazon went out of business <laughs> the end <laughs> <laughs> no i mean today amazon does have a pretty successful hardware business they have the echo line and they have the Kindle line, which we started the show with. But Amazon also has this thing, and they're in regular regulatory trouble for it because they mm-hmm. go in and make a bunch of products, and people who don't like them say uh, there's evidence that they clone what's successful, and I think there is clear evidence of that. Yep. But we thought we would end the show by picking some of our – I don't want to call them favorites – but some of the the wackier things we found on Amazon that is that are branded with Amazon's name and logo on them. Items that continue to be in, in Apple's lineup. <laughs> I will say my Amazon search history is ruined after preparing for this oh. episode. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, should we start it off? Uh, yeah, you go first. Okay. Round one. Oh, boy. Uh, it's got to be the Amazon Halo for me. Have you heard of this thing? It's It's new. Just recently came out. It looks uh, so it's a fitness band, but it doesn't have a screen, mm-hmm. right? So it kind of looks like the the Whoop. Is that how you pronounce it? Whoop Whoop. That's right. Yep. Uh, which is very expensive, and I got some friends who it are is. into that, and it, it's probably a cult. It is. But yeah, this is a activity sleep tracker thing. Yeah. So I got invited to the Amazon Halo beta, which means I told Amazon I wanted to give them money for an unfinished product before they sold it to everyone else. Perfect. And so they. They sent it to me, and by sent it to me, I I bought it uh, because I am I'm not a smartwatch guy because I wear uh, mechanical wristwatches, but I am also someone who refuses to exercise without recognition and validation from computers and my friends, and so uh, <laughs> <laughs> this type of device, like the Whoop, seems Whoop. like uh, like a great idea. The Whoop is very expensive, and this does look shockingly similar. The hardware is really cheap. I don't even remember what it retails for. I think it's $100 that it retails for, but it's classic Amazon stuff goes on sale like crazy. I think I paid 60 bucks for it as part of the beta. And uh, yeah, you know, it's just a fitness tracker. I actually think it does a pretty good job. The sensors are not quite as good as, you know, the Apple Watch, but I think it's on par with kind of the mid-range Fitbit devices. And, and it works fine. The app is, is elegant. It works well on iOS. But there is one thing that is very, very creepy about this device. So... 
what it does is it has this feature where you can disable it, thank goodness, but there's an option where you can record, it just streams your conversations constantly. So you wear this thing on your wrist and it records everything. And it recognizes your voice model when compared to other people. And then it tells you inside of the app how you're interacting with other people. So it analyzes your voice pattern and says, mm, at 3.57 today, you were agitated. Mm-mm. It doesn't really tell you why, and it doesn't let you play back that moment in the conversation. So it's kind of uh, not helpful. I don't want that. But there is a moment where if, yeah, if you remember this conversation in your head, where you're like, oh, I'm, I need to remember this, you can mark it, and then it will show you in the app, hey, you marked this, and this is what you were feeling, or this is how you perceived yourself. This is how other people perceived you at that point in time. Uh, it's bad because it's creepy and nobody should have that. And it also, I, I did try it for a couple days and it just didn't seem that reliable. It was like, you're really mad today. And I was like, you know what? No, actually today was a really good day. <laughs> so um, yeah, you know, all that information is just feeding into uh, Jeff Bezos's uh, 900 page long archive of, of you and everything about you. And uh, yeah, don't like that at all. So I, uh, I now have it inside of a shelf. The battery is dead. I have apologized to the planet for creating e-waste. And um, yeah, this should not exist. It's a bad product. I'm going to go with uh, one of the many products that is just somebody else's product, but Amazon slaps their name on it. Apparently, this is from the same, some sort of company that also sells things uh, for Walmart's brand. But Amazon Basics Full Synthetic Motor Oil, Mm. Euro Formula 5W40, one quart, six pack. So if you want to save some money and get some Amazon Basics motor oil to put in your car, you can do that. Full synthetic oil is expensive. Yeah, this is uh, 30 bucks for the six-pack, one quarts. The reviews are pretty good. Some people complain that there's not a... I know you don't know this because you drive a future car, but the rest of us who change oil, uh, there's normally a transparent line down the edge of the bottle so you can see how much oil is in it. So like my truck takes five and a half quarts because Toyota picked a weird number. Mm -hmm. And I need to know where the half quart is, right? So I don't overfill it. I couldn't do that with this because they don't include it. So Alfie's disappointed. Just rub some acetone on the side or something. Just kidding. That is a that is a strange omission. I don't think putting a window in there would be that expensive of a tooling cost. No, come on. Anyways, so that's my first pick of some stuff you shouldn't buy from Amazon. Okay, round two. I'm going to go with the Echo Look. Boo! I hate this thing. <laughs> Who doesn't? This thing, if you thought that the Amazon Halo was creepy, oh, just you wait. So the Echo Look was an Echo device. It was just like any Amazon Alexa device. It it had a speaker. You could talk to it. It could answer. But it had a camera. And the idea was that inside of an app, you could take a picture of yourself each morning wearing two outfits. Because naturally, everyone puts multiple outfits on every day. Uh, on their whole body without laying them on the bed before deciding what to wear. And you could upload both photos to the cloud and it would then tell you, hey, by the way, this is the outfit you should wear based on algorithmic um, shopping uh, kind of history of other Amazon shoppers. So it could be determined what was in style or what was fashionable based on what other people were buying so that you yourself could look better. It would give you some generic but specific kind of feedback items like, oh, you look slimmer in this color and other stuff like that. Um, they did dial back the creepiness factor of like the the personal critiquing of your appearance. <laughs> and it would just eventually show you a percentage rating of which one you should wear. And then the idea being as well that over time, Amazon would learn what style you know, you, you tended to lean towards what clothing you liked, and then they would recommend those clothes for you inside of the app and inside of the Amazon homepage. So yeah, not creepy at all. Uh, people willingly purchased this device and, uh, it was a massive success and discontinued a couple years later. Yeah. I rewatched the Verge's review and Lauren Good does it. And I felt creepy watching it because she's talking about her appearance. I was like, I don't I don't even feel good like listening to someone talk about this. <laughs> Why did they make it? It's the ultimate Black Mirror episode, for sure. For my second pick, I'm going to keep in the spirit of yours. And I'm going to go with the second generation Echo Frames. Mm. These are glasses frames that have Alexa built in. 
So you can talk to the assistant at any moment and they can help you out. Uh, This is not Google Glass, which we should totally do an episode on, by the way. Yep. Uh, This is just the, um, it's basically like a Bluetooth headset that looks like glasses, right? But Mm. it's $250 and of course you've got to include it. Uh, you know, you got to have your phone with you at all times because basically it's just Bluetooth, right? So you're carrying two devices. You can have prescription lenses put in them. They have instructions on how to make that happen. But it's, um, I don't know. Like why, why do you need Alexa in your glasses? Yeah, here's the thing about these. Um, why not just use uh, wireless earbuds for your in-ear assistant, mm-hmm. um, which are ubiquitous and everywhere. Uh, some of which, by the way, are available with Amazon Alexa. I don't I don't understand the, the use case for this. Who wants to carry around massive, heavy yokes with rechargeable batteries inside? Hmm. Yeah, uh, don't wear these. Don't do that. They're not even good-looking glasses. No, they're not. They're like, they look like glasses with Amazon Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> Designed by an engineer. They don't look futuristic. They they look like a nerdy. You know those like they've gotten better, but Bose used to make frames with like earbuds inside of them. Yeah. And they, and they still do and they still look bad, but the original ones from like I don't know, probably 2010 or something like that were so heinous looking and it gives me those vibes. They're just chunky looking and ugh, don't like it. <laughs> okay, the Amazon Basics microwave with Alexa built in. Yeah, this is a thing. Uh, I own this actually, because uh, we wanted to start microwaving meals at work. uh, And it was the cheapest microwave on Amazon with even remotely decent reviews. The reviews for this, by the way, are not great because turns out it's a pretty crappy microwave. It is very, very small. It's like 0.7 cubic feet inside. So it's, it's like a very small microwave and then it's only 700 Watts. So however long it tells you to microwave something, add like another 30%. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you'll eventually get hot food, but the whole pitch was like, Hey, there's Alexa built in now. There's not really Alexa built in because there's no speaker. It's not an Echo. It doesn't talk to you. You can use your Amazon Echo to talk to the microwave. So you can say, hey, microwave this thing for three minutes or turn the microwave on to defrost for this weight. There's no special scales inside. It's the same as just pushing the buttons on the microwave, but you do it with your voice. That's already not very useful because you're already at the microwave and you have to close the door. But to make matters worse, you can't actually start the microwave from your Amazon Echo. You have to push start on the microwave. So you close the door (laughs) and rather than just push two for two minutes, you have to say, oh, dearest assistant, please microwave my thing for two minutes. And then you have to wait and wait and wait. Oh, and now two minutes shows up on the microwave. And then I push the start button. Why? That sounds terrible. (laughs) It's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. And it's a bad microwave. So don't buy it. Spend like $20 more for the Philips one that I didn't buy. It's, it's, yeah. I'm glad someone picked that because it, it, it is one of my favorites because it's so strange. This was announced in the event a couple years ago. Do you remember where they just announced like 50 things with voice assistant integration? Like one was a wall clock. Oh, yeah. And yep. there's like lots and lots of things. Most of them no longer exist. But you're gonna you're gonna be the micro Amazon microwave guy. <laughs> That's right. All right. Up next, Amazon Basic Care Minoxidil Topical Aerosol Five Percent Foam Hair Regrowth Treatment for Men Twelve Point Six Six Ounces. Stephen, this feels like a personal attack. Frankly, it's not a personal attack. You're a very handsome man. Uh, yes, I have a receding ha- hairline. Uh, yes, I may. It'd be experiencing pattern baldness on the top of my head. Yes, I may be using minoxidil, okay? I do not use the Amazon basic minoxidil, but you know, they're they're basically all the same. So you could save a bunch of money because this is mm-hmm. uh sixty-three dollars for yep. whatever this is, five dollars an ounce. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's check out some of the reviews. Seems pretty good. Oh, one person <laughs> got dandruff. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's a side effect of minoxidil. I don't know the, the Amazon basics. You get Just for Men, you, you get Rogaine. They're all going to do that. I'm a balding expert, okay? <laughs> wonder how what Alfie <laughs> thinks about it. Uh, goodbye, hair. I loved you. <laughs> all right, what's your final pick? All right, this would be the Amazon Basics 300-pack AA Industrial Alkaline Batteries. 
It's so many batteries. Three, 300 batteries. Now, they only have a five-year shelf life, so you better be sure that you have to... You got to have at least 150 TVs to use all of these things. This is where... Uh, you're not being a parent comes into play. I think about 300 batteries and be like, yeah, we could use those in five years in my house. Seems reasonable. Right? We got remote control cars <laughs> and things that make noise. And That's fair. That's fair. How much does this box weigh when it shows up? Oh, I don't I mean, know. How much does 300 AA batteries weigh? It is an, it is an easy open pack, frustration free. Because <laughs> it crushes your entire family. <laughs> the shipping weight is 15.43 pounds. That's not <laughs> That's, too bad. No. I mean, it's not light, but it's less than I would have thought. Yeah, so these are manufactured by uh, Fujitsu in Indonesia, and they're apparently pretty good batteries. They have pretty good reviews. Um, I would recommend for a little bit more money, but not that much more, you just go to Costco and buy the Kirkland Signature batteries because they're just rebranded Duracells, and uh, they're very, very, very good. It's a hot battery tip here on Flashback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your least commonly used battery form factor? Of the of the common ones, hmm. You know, more kid stuff has like the watch battery, like the CR, yeah, which is whatever it the is. Worst. Yep. Twenty twenty four, whatever those are. I feel like the nine volts gone out of style. It has. Yeah. I think smoke the only detectors. nine volts in my house are probably in the smoke alarms. Would be my guess. Yep. Uh, we unboxed a, a game. Uh, the other week that was gifted for Christmas, Uno Attack. That game uses four D-cell, or not D-cell, C-cell batteries. I don't think I've ever used a C-cell battery. Yeah, that's weird. They're very strange batteries. Although, we ordered uh, new electronic shades for our our house. We're getting eight of them, and each shade, to to raise and lower the the shades automatically on the windows, uh, takes eight D-cells. So oh. we're going to need 64 of those bad boys, and they go bad every two years. So, <laughs> Well, you'll be able yeah. to open your blinds with your microwave, so that's good. That is that is the cost of, of an Amazon Alexa-powered smart home. <laughs> this episode of Flashbacks brought to you by Amazon Alexa. No, kidding. it's not. What's your last pick, Stephen? <laughs> My last pick, Amazon Essentials Men's Classic Fit Stretch Golf Pant. Mm. So I've never played a round of golf. I have no real desire to. I like mini golf. We should go. But not actual golf. If you like mini golf, you like real golf. They're almost the same. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you get to pick your own (laughs) colored ball, and there's windmills that can knock your ball into the water. It's all the same. You play golf. I do play golf, yes. I mean, more than me. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, you're Mm -hmm. basically Tiger Woods. Do people who play golf seem like the type of people to buy a set of khakis off Amazon Essentials for $14? You know what? Yeah, there's a lot of old people that play golf, and maybe this is ageist, but um, both of my grandparents who golf would go ham over these if they knew that Amazon existed. Uh, Because these, actually, I'm looking at the photos here, and I'm looking at reviews from people. They look very good. I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. (laughs) I've been over here golfing like an idiot with Lululemons, which are far too expensive. And despite uh, some bad reviews... Like one from Matthew on July 26, 2020, the title of the review being Short Crotch. Uh, it's a, <laughs> they seem, they seem, uh, they seem pretty well reviewed. They may be a little yeah. prone to static electricity. Um, mm. This was somebody mm-hmm. in the UK though. Electricity works differently there. So who knows? Oh, that's right. They have those weird plugs that are that's right. really impractical and, and unsafe, mm-hmm. right? I think they, ours are way safer. That's why ours are smaller. That's right. I <laughs> yeah, think that's what it is. <laughs> All right. So that is the Fire Phone and other unusual Amazon branded products. Hmm. There are many. There are. There's many in our list that we didn't pick, but we would be here all day. We really would. If you want to find links to the stuff we spoke about, a bunch of coverage of the Fire Phone before, during, and after its life, and then a bunch of stuff you should not buy from Amazon. Although, how's the Uno game? Is the Uno game good? It's great. Uh, they've changed it a little bit since I was a kid. The The construction of the uh, the little... Have you ever played Uno Attack? No, I've only played like the old fashioned with your hands, like a baby. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this thing, you push a button on top and it randomly shoots out cards Perfect. at whomever has to, to draw. It's great fun. Uh, it's an excellent way to make children cry because if they get more cards than the adults, that's just not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, really valuable life lessons. Great game. Anyway, yeah, you can find that on Amazon. Okay. That's what we're talking about, right? 
There'll be one good thing in the show notes. Uh, you can find them in your podcast app or on the web at relay.fm slash flashback slash 12. While you're there, you can get in touch. You can send us an email with feedback or follow-up, or you can find us online. Quinn, if someone wanted to find you online, where could they look? They would find me at youtube.com slash snazzy or at snazzyq on any of the socials. And you can find me on a bunch of shows here on Relay FM, including Mac Power Users and Connected. And you can find me on Twitter and Twitch as ISMH. Until next time, Quinn, say goodbye. Well, Stephen, it's been a great time. If you'll excuse me, I have to go buy my Amazon Basic Care Clear Lax Polyethylene Glycol 3350 Powder 4 Solution Osmotic Laxative Pack of 3. Godspeed. <laughs>